1 John chapter 3. We're going to be starting in verse 7 this morning. First John chapter 3, verses 7 through 12. This is what the Word of God says. Little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. No one who has been born of God practices sin because his seed abides in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of the evil one, and slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil, and his brothers were righteous." Well, the general objective of today's message is to recognize that, ultimately speaking, there are two families in the world. There are two houses in the world. The topic deals with spiritual warfare. And if you're following along with notes, this is going to be how we're going to break down this section. Heading number one, a warning to God's house. Number two, a warning to Satan's house. And number three, the children in God's house. And then fourthly, the children in Satan's house. You know, it is often said that a fruit doesn't fall far from the tree. So oftentimes we will quip this way in our culture about a child to his father and say, oh, he's just like his father. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Now, this can be something that is said positively. This can be something that is said negatively. And in a way, the Apostle John is saying something similar, although spiritually. He's saying that we can recognize the children of God. We can recognize the children of the devil. But before we get into an exposition of these verses, let us remind ourselves where we've been. This is all under the general heading that the children of God should love one another. And so John will end this section. But if you recall, last week we talked about John disclosing that everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness. And sin is lawlessness. We talked about John giving us last week, a forensic definition of sin. What is sin? 
The Apostle John would have us know that sin ultimately is lawlessness. And today, John is going to give us somewhat of a forensic definition of the children of God and the children of the evil one. And so it is that he begins with the household of God to give a warning of sense. And this is the first heading, a warning to God's house. Look at verse 7. Little children. John begins again like he's began so many times. Little children. This affectionate term to those under his pastoral care. Little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. In this verse, John is now making a commentary note on what he taught in the previous verse when he says that no one who abides in him sins. No one who sins has seen him or know him. Notice again the two groups in verse 6. The one who abides in him, that's in Christ, and the one who does not know him. Again, as we mentioned, John previously gave us a forensic definition of sin, where he said sin was lawlessness. And now he wants us to remember what we discussed about being under law or under grace and how that properly relates to those of us who are in Christ. We want to remember these proper categories that John is working with, not that of sinless, sinlessness and sinfulness, or sinlessness and lawlessness, those aren't the categories that John is ultimately working with. Rather, he's working with those in the covenant of grace and those in the covenant of works. Again, if we mix up these categories, this is where we're liable to, to interpret the scriptures in a way that is not consistent with itself, where we want to say that it is possible in this life to not sin. Oh, how many of us wish it were so that it was possible for us not to sin in our flesh. But that is not what John is saying. John is highlighting those who are in the covenant of grace versus those who are in the covenant of works. Those who have been given the promises of the new covenant, such as having the moral law contained in the Ten Commandments written on hearts of flesh, versus those who are not in the new covenant and have that same moral law written on their hearts, but rather on hearts of stone. But what is John getting at as it concerns the context of this first century congregation when he says, little children, make sure no one deceives you? Why all this instruction with distinguishing and recognizing those who are in Christ versus those who say they are in Christ but are not? Why all the warnings? We've seen this over and over in 1 John. We've said that John has given us a way in which we can recognize those who are actually walking in darkness versus those who are walking in light. But why these dangers? Why these warnings? I believe there was in the first century and there is today an insipid danger 
within the church. Now, insipid means lacking vigor or interest. That danger has to do with those who are teaching falsely in the church. Remember, what is the context of 1 John in the first century? There are those who crept into the church who were teaching a different doctrine, a different Christ, and a different ethic. And they were ultimately saying things like this. It doesn't matter how you live physically. What's spiritual is what matters. You see this throughout the New Testament. This arguing against this idea of licentious living. Why so many arguments against licentious living? Well, in part because there are false teachers who are among Christian congregations who are saying that's okay. In fact, they were living licentious lives. And this is what John is getting at, I believe, in verse 7 when he says, Little children, my beloved ones, my dear ones, those who I am shepherding in love, make sure that no one deceives you. And here, John is unpacking how there is a danger within the church by those who claim to be teachers of light, but are actually teachers of darkness. And this accounts again for the language of make sure no one deceives you. This is not the first time that John has sounded this warning in his letter. Look back at chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, verse 26. He says this, These things I have written to you, Concerning those who are trying to deceive you. So even here in verse 7 of chapter 3, it's not the first time John has sounded this same warning. But what were those things back in chapter 2 that John was saying, I have written to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you? Who are the those? What are these things? Well, again, look back at John chapter, or 1 John chapter 2, and the context was the coming Antichrist and the many Antichrists that had already appeared in John's day. Verse 18. In fact, he goes on to say, These are the ones, verse, 18, verse 19, who went out from us, but were not really of us. And so again, we see the, these categories of thought. What is the of us? John is saying in the covenant of grace, in the new covenant. They were of us, yes, they gathered with us. They even taught us. They were teachers from the pulpit or from the head position. And yet they were not in the new covenant themselves. And they could be exposed because of what they were teaching. False doctrine is serious, and it needs to be warned against. John has done it thus far two times, within three chapters. But why do I say it's an insipid danger, even within the church today? Why is it an insipid danger, one that we don't recognize or give too much attention to, or I should say enough attention to? John is saying, and we're familiar with this, you can judge a tree by its fruit. We've heard this. We've said this before. We, we rejoice that we can judge a tree by its fruit, that we're not left with no guide. We have the infallible word of God, but we also can have a person's life as an example before them. How do they live? 
What is the fruit of their life? What is the fruit? Here's where I say it's an insipid danger in the church. What is the fruit of their doctrine? Well, if you're like me, you've often thought judging a tree by its fruit is primarily to do with the way somebody lives. And yes, that's true. And yes, we should pay attention to even those in the congregation, in the body of Christ who say they are in Christ, but show signs of not being in Christ. Again, our hearts go out to this, this woman in the La Mirada congregation who we pray is our sister in Christ, but there is a mechanism in the local congregation to help those, to restore those in the congregation who have gone astray if they truly be in Christ. And the thrust of this message, as you're going to see, is there's a warning that needs to go out among us all concerning doctrine and our Christian life. But let's just consider Matthew chapter 7, where this judging a tree by its fruit comes from. If you would, turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew, Matthew chapter 7 begins with a, with a very well-quoted Bible verse, which is often twisted out of context. Do not judge so that you will not be judged. Now, most people stop there, and anytime they're receiving instruction, criticism, even a helping hand from a brother or sister in Christ, is often responded met with judge not lest you be judged but our lord goes on for in the way you judge you will be judged and by your standard of measure it will be measured to you the lord goes on to warn us in this passage about hypocrisy about how easy it is as fallen children of God, to judge unjustly. How we can be hypocritical in our judgments. How pride can start swelling up in our hearts. And instead of love, we go to our brother or our sister in a way that is not loving. But our Lord continues in verse 6 to say, Do not give what is holy to dogs, and do not throw your pearls before swine. Now these aren't categories of those in the covenant of grace, but these are those in that other covenant, the covenant of works. These are the ones who are called dogs, swine. And our Lord is saying, Don't give what is holy to them. Why? For your own protection. They will trample what you give them under their feet, and they will turn and tear you to pieces. But this begs the question, if I'm not to judge, how am I to know who is a dog? How am I to know who is the swine? No, as Jesus would say in John chapter 7, verse 24, it's not that we aren't to judge, but do not judge by the outward appearance, our Lord would say, but rather judge with righteous judgment. 
We are called to judge, but with righteous judgment, not with a hypocritical judgment, an eye that has pride behind it. But back to Matthew chapter 7, Jesus goes on to talk about judging a tree by its fruit. So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then, you will know them by their fruits. Again, who is the them? I believe a knee-jerk reaction by many is exclusively the them are those who are not in Christ. Unbelievers. Those out there. And again, there's an application to be made with those who are outside of the congregation that is meeting. Those outside. But what precedes Jesus giving this instruction is verse 15 where he says beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly are ravenous wolves you will know them by their fruits grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes nor figs from thistles are they so every good tree bears good fruit but the bad tree bears bad fruit this is the context of what our Lord is teaching in Matthew 17. Is there an application to be made with those outside of the congregation? Absolutely. Do we often miss the warning that is given to false teachers in the congregation? I believe so. And that's why I say there's an insipid danger. And it is what John is warning his first century hearers about and it's what he's warning us about today. Little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. And be, again, because our heading is the warning to God's house, I believe this righteousness correlates with doctrine. It can be said the one who practices righteousness, who lives a holy life, through the work of the Spirit, because they have the regenerating work of the Spirit in their lives, produces fruit, that is true. We talked about time and time again how the Lord has prepared good works for us that we should walk in them. But I think John has the idea of practicing righteousness here as in practicing right doctrine. Because again, this is the context of John's first epistle. There is a doctrinal error that is creeping into the church. And John is warning his children about this doctrinal error and behavioral error. So these things do go together. But I, I after studying this verse, lean towards the older commentators who think practice righteousness has to do with doctrine. And doesn't that make sense if the one who John is warning against are those who are teaching false doctrine who are trying to deceive you. John is concerned. 
for us. And we should be concerned. Because later, in 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, John will say, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone into the world. So the Apostle John, after giving us a forensic definition of sin and those connected with it, now provides us with a forensic definition of those who practice and teach. This is a warning to God's house. Do you hear the warning? But after giving a warning to God's house, I believe John now is giving a warning to Satan's house. Look at verse 8. The one who practices sin is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. John is now showing us that there is another house. And this house practices sin. The house of God ought to practice godliness, and by the Spirit of God does. But the house of Satan practices sin. And this is the idea behind John's discussion of sin. When he says, no one sins, or no one can sin, what he means is this practice of sin. We talked last time about sin being a ruler over you. Sin does not rule over those who are in the covenant of grace. It rules over those who are in the covenant of works. They practice sin, just as those in the covenant of grace practice righteousness. And for an illustration of this, I want you to turn to John chapter 8 if you're able. John chapter 8. Here Jesus himself uses these categories... When he is debating those who say they are Jews but are not inwardly. In John chapter 8, Jesus says this in verse 34. As a reminder, we've read this before. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. See, this is what we're talking about. This is what John is talking about. This practicing of sin. This sin having dominion over you. Jesus is saying everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. This is a habitual sin. This is what John is saying about those who practice sin, who are of the devil. They're slaves of it. And he says this, The slave does not remain in the house forever. Now, what's the house that Jesus is talking about? He's not talking about the house of the covenant of grace. Rather, he's now looking at the Mosaic covenant, and this is where our instruction in covenant theology 
will start to help us, how there were those in the Mosaic Covenant who were in the covenant of grace, but were also in the covenant of works. Sorry, those who were in the covenant of grace versus those who were in the covenant of works. You could be in the Mosaic Covenant rightly, be in the household of God as it concerned the Mosaic Covenant, and yet not truly be of God. And this corresponds to Paul saying, not everyone who is a Jew or who says there is a Jew, they are a Jew are truly a Jew. Not all Israel is of Israel. In Galatians, Paul talks about this in detail, about there are two seeds that go out from Abraham. And what we'll see in the New Testament is that the Jews were very quick to call Abraham their father. And right they were according to the flesh. But not everybody who was a Jew according to the flesh was a Jew according to the Spirit. And this is what, jo this is what Jesus means when he says, The slave does not remain in the house forever. What's the house? It's the household of God. But he says this, The Son does remain forever. So if the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. And as we know this part in the Gospels, the Jews are quick to say, we know who our father is, it's Abraham. What do you mean we're slaves? We're not slaves. But then Jesus says this in verses 44 through 48. You are of your father, the devil. Very similar to the language that John is using in 1 John. You are of your father, the devil. And you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I speak truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears the words of God. For this reason, you do not hear them because you are not of God. Brothers and sisters, time and time again, when we go back to John's gospel, I hope you see these connections in John's epistle. He just recently told us about the Son being without sin. Here, Jesus is telling us of the same thing about these two categories, those who are of the devil, those who are of God. And then Jesus follows it up with, which one of you can convict me of sin? So much John is rehearsing in his epistle what he teaches us in his gospel. What he was taught by the time he spent with our Lord and our Savior. But this is a warning to those who are in Satan's house. That the Son of God has appeared to destroy these works of the devil. The devil was a murderer from the beginning. He speaks a lie from his own nature. He's a murderer. And those who are in his house do his desires. And what John is saying is that the Lord Jesus Christ has appeared to destroy these works. And these works were not just being done in the first century. 
These works are being done today. And for anybody who is in Satan's house and who hears this warning, ought to come out of Satan's house. The Lord is making an enemy. I'm sorry, the Lord is making all of his enemies his footstool. He is continuing to do that now. And if you are in Satan's house, if you are in the covenant of works and are found there on that day when he appears, you will be under his feet as well. This is a warning to Satan's house. But then after giving us a warning to God's house and a warning to Satan's house, John now wants to go back and give us a description of the children in God's house. We have two houses, we have two fathers, and we have two children. And this is what John says in verse 9. No one who is born of God practices sin because his seed abides in him and he cannot sin because he is born of God. If there's anywhere that we want to camp out this morning, it's on this verse. Because brothers and sisters, those of us who are in Christ have confidence because his seed abides in us. John starts out by saying, no one who is born of God. He's used this language before, and he used it when he discussed us being his adopted children. And John, remember, in this overflow of doxological praise, wanted to show how great a love the Father has for us, that we would be called children of God, that he would adopt wretches like us, and not just adopt us, but then transform us. And how does he transform us? Remember, by the anointing of the Spirit. And this anointing of the Spirit doesn't leave us. But rather, as he says in verse 9, his seed abides in us. And no matter what trials we're going through, no matter what difficulties we're presented, no matter what persecutions come our way, Remember the apostles being persecuted in the book of Acts that we read, read from this morning. No matter what trials and persecutions come our way, God's seed is still abiding in us, allowing us and enabling us to do supernatural things. Brothers and sisters, it's a supernatural thing to be scourged physically for Christ and to leave that place rejoicing. That's a supernatural thing. No one gets scourged and then rejoices unless it's for Jesus' sake. And you love him to such a degree because it has been gifted to you to love him to such a degree that you rejoice in your trials. But even when we don't rejoice in our trials, even when our trials are too much for us or seem too much for us and we feel weighed down, and we even start to question our salvation because a child of God shouldn't 
feel this way. We don't follow our feelings. We follow the word of God, which says even at that time, at your weakest, God's seed abides in you. Which is why John says he cannot sin. Well, there it is. Close the book. That makes no sense. Because everything I'm telling you goes against what that seemingly says. Absolutely not. John isn't saying because the Holy Spirit abides in you that you will not sin anymore. Or even worse, you cannot sin anymore. Therefore, if you sin, obviously you're not a Christian. No, that's not what he's saying. Remember what he said in the previous verse about practicing sin. About what Jesus said in the gospel. The one who sins is a slave of sin. What is behind this is sin being the domineering power in your life. And sin is not the domineering power in anybody's life. And not only that, all of our sins are covered. All of our sins have been taken away. God does not judge us on account of our sins, but on account of Christ's righteousness. And John, in a sense, is saying, it's as if we don't sin. Because of who you are in Christ, and because of the victory that you have in Him, because of Him, it's as if you can't sin. In fact, it's as if you cannot sin. But remember, the person we're talking about is the one who has been born of God. And if you are born of God, you are in Christ's house. You are a child in God's house. And these are the benefits that are, that are uh, uh, bestowed to you. You might say to yourself, during this sermon, I'm thinking about all my sins and how far I've fallen short this week and how far I fell short the week before and probably how far short I'm going to fall this coming week. How could God ever say it's as if I cannot sin? He must not know me. No, he knows you. And he knows his son. And it's his son whom you are hidden. And because you are hid in Christ, John says, the one who has his seed abiding in him cannot sin because he is born of God. Remember, we want to have Scripture interpret Scripture, lest we twist this into a false doctrine, which ironically, John is guarding against false teachers who twist the Scriptures. And in our own day, we have teachers who twist even this Scripture. May God protect us from such false teachers. May we rightly understand this word this morning. So we are not deceived. But after giving us a description of the children in God's house, then he moves to the children in Satan's house. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. And here he, here he says it again. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God. Here we have this idea of practicing. And I, again, in line with the previous verse, I believe this righteousness has to do with doctrine. 
Anyone who does not practice right doctrine. And I don't mean exhaustively, brothers and sisters. Don't hear me wrong on this. I'm not saying anybody who teaches one doctrine that you think is wrong is a false teacher and is of the devil. There are doctrines that brothers and sisters in Christ disagree with. We have our convictions on particular doctrines. But even some of those convictions don't separate us from others in the household of God. But there are doctrines that do separate us from those who hold them. There are doctrines that are non-negotiables. Who Christ is. What the gospel is. And I think what John is saying is that those doctrines that are non-negotiable, in fact, those doctrines that were being promoted in John's day, a counterfeit Christ, a counterfeit gospel. It's by the very presence of those things that it is clear who the children of the devil are. Because remember, the spirit who abides in all believers, especially those who are teaching, guides into all truth. We already talked about that in the previous verses in John's epistle. Not that you know all things infallibly, but that the Holy Spirit is the one guiding us into all true doctrine. These are the children of Satan's house, and they're identifiable. If doctrine and ethics are the signs of somebody in Christ, they can be clearly seen. And how that works itself out is whether you love your brother or not. Doctrine coming from a regenerate heart, the fruit that we're looking for, works itself out in one way, in loving your brother. We often talk about how there's a supernatural love in the household of God. Calling someone who is a complete stranger otherwise a brother or a sister, if it be someone you just met. What is that? It's a supernatural work of the Spirit. And this is why John is saying, if someone does not love their brother... That's a sign that they do not have the Spirit abiding in them. They are not in the covenant of works, but the covenant of grace. But then John finishes, finishes this section with a sort of tale, a sort of illustration. In verse 11, he says, For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of the evil one, and slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil, and his brothers were righteous. Flipping back to the book of Genesis, what John is doing is reminding his audience of a story that was well known among his Jewish audience, and that had to do with Cain and Abel. And it falls on the heels of the first gospel truth that were given all the way back in the book of Genesis, where God had promised to send someone to crush the head of the serpent. The Lord Jesus Christ. 
And he says something in Genesis that again instructs us of these two houses. And so one last time, turning back to Genesis chapter 3, the Lord says this. Now the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, deceived our first parents, cursed are you more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you will go and dust you will eat all the days of your life. And verse 15, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. There are the two houses, those who are of the woman's seed and those who are of the seed of the serpent. And as we work ourselves through all of scripture, we see how these two houses are at war. Even within a covenant community in Israel, even in the earthly ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ. But this promised seed of the woman shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. Victory was offered to our first parents. The gospel was offered to our first parents. And so it's offered to us today. Which house are you in? Are you in the house of God or the house of the devil? A warning has been given to both houses. The children of both houses have been described. And now in closing, the Lord will urge us out of Hebrews chapter 3. Please turn with me there. Our Lord, through the writer of the Hebrews, says this in verse 1. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. He was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also was in all his house. For he has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. By just so much as the builder of the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken later. But Christ was faithful as a son over his house, whose house we are, if we hold fast our confidence and the boast of our hope firm until the end. Look at verse 12. Take care, brethren, that there not be any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. But encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. 
This is the warning that we need to hear, brothers and sisters, in the household of God. Take care that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God, but rather set your eyes on Christ, finding your hope and your confidence and your standing in him. For the children in the son's house remain forever. Let us pray.